Hi, and welcome to the SPE Podcast. I'm Asha Robles, SPE's Multimedia Producer. Today's podcast is hosted by SPE's VP of Communications, Glenda Smith. She is joined by Terry Polish, Petroleum Engineering Advisor at Carbo Ceramics and longtime SPE volunteer. They discuss the importance of how to properly write a paper proposal. joining me today, Terry. That's great to be here, Glenda. Even though we're in the virtual mode, it's uh, it's good to be able to do these types of things. So you started your career with ARCO working in Alaska, and then after ARCO was purchased, you spent some time as a high school math teacher. That had to be an interesting experience. Um, do you feel like you were able to influence uh, any of your students towards engineering careers, perhaps? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I mean, first of all, I got into it because my parents and I come from a long line of a lot of teachers and I, I, so I probably came by it naturally and it's something I'd always wanted to do. So I took advantage of the opportunity, but, um, you know, I, I taught math and I, for, for as silly as it sounds is I was always really excited when I was teaching my math classes. So, I mean, algebra two, I taught mostly, and then I had a little bit of math models and statistics and, um, you know, I think it's, when I taught math models, particularly, it felt like I, I was able to offer people world, world, real world experiences or kids real world experiences. And um, so, you know, I don't know whether it did, but I would I hope that my excitement or maybe even, you know, there's a lot of times where you 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 I kind of looked at every student as a little engineering problem and you're you're trying to figure out how to impart the knowledge that I had uh, into their brain. And so you worked on ways to do that. And I if if I hope that sometime I maybe made it a little bit easier or made it made it not so ominous because so many students say, oh, you know what? My mom and dad were not good at math, so I'm not either. And, you know, that's not really true. Right. That's it's uh, uh, I think a lot of times kids gave up before they ever tried. And so I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, I only taught for four years, so I didn't. I, I one thing I really do miss is that I wasn't able to uh, see the students come back, you know, after they'd maybe gone to college and had been doing something with their lives. But I uh, hope so. I mean, I at least tried to make it interesting. I I think that's always fun to to have the opportunity to influence a a, a young mind, and yeah, it is kind of unfortunate that you didn't get to see how they come back and what they right. decided to do with it. But uh, uh, hopefully being an engineer yourself, you you at least gave them some some impetus in that direction. Well, you know, one of the one of the things projects we did in my math models class was a casino day and everybody had to build their own games and use probability. So at least at the bare minimum, they probably figured out where math maybe came into play in gambling. <laughs> That's great. Maybe maybe that gave them a useful skill going forward. Right. Um, so you're the author or co-author of more than 50 SPE papers. What led you to writing that first one? Uh, well, when I worked for ARCO, I was in Alaska. And if you wanted to attend a conference, an SPE conference, you could either wait till your rotation, which you know typically took about five years before it kind of came back around to you, or you could write a paper. And so a colleague of mine both said, you know what, we want to go to New Orleans. And so we wrote a paper that was set in an abstract for New Orleans and we got it. So we went. So that was quite frankly, that was the reason we did it. And uh, I didn't feel like I was very good at it or anything, but we just wanted to go to the conference. That's great. So how has writing papers benefited your career? 
Hmm. Well, believe it or not, when I first started with ARCO, I, I'll never forget uh, during my first year or two during my development program, I remember my supervisor basically telling me, man, you are, I kept getting really low marks on technical writing, presentation skills and stuff. And I just thought, I, I got to do better than that. And, and I don't know that I started writing papers and making presentations because of it, but I can tell you that doing it certainly has helped me. And um, I've come to find that I, I, I'm not saying I'm good or bad at it, but I'm a lot more comfortable doing it than I ever was. So I think that's helped me a lot. And in my current job, you know, a lot of what I do is presentations. And, and I, I, I think, you know, I think having given papers and talks, I don't feel all that intimidated by it anymore. Um, and then I, so I think that's helped. And then of course, I think the exposure, you, you're exposed to a lot of colleagues and people that you would never be exposed to if, if not. And, you know, it, Honestly, it feels good when you get done making a giving the presentation and and people come up to you asking you questions and and things like that. And as much as I'm usually intimidated, usually people are intimidated by the questions you're going to get. But frankly, I'd much rather get questions than give that paper. And but believe me, it's happened to me where I give the paper and I don't have a single question. And I'm thinking, boy, that must have been pretty irrelevant to people sitting in here. So, but no, I think that's kind of how it's helped me. That's great. I think I think a lot of people have found that. Um, I wrote some papers early in my career as well. I think I only have nine, um, but it, it helped me a lot with uh, with presentation skills and with reaching out and making connections to other people in the industry. And so I, I do think there's a lot of value for people there. Want more insights from today's conversation? SPE publications cover all aspects of the upstream oil and gas industry, from technology and careers to production and operations. Learn more about our peer-reviewed journals, magazines, books, technical papers, and technical reports. It's all at spe.org publications. So after, you know, after getting good at writing papers, you moved on to serving on program committees and eventually on various subcommittees and the ATCE program committee, being the chairman of the ATC program committee in 2017-2018. So you've read a lot of paper proposals. <laughs> I have. <laughs> yes, more than I'd like to care. That's <laughs> but yes, I have. In fact, I read paper proposals before, you know, now you have now you have kind of some guidelines. It's it, the abstract is kind of broken up into four parts for you, which makes your life a lot easier. But I read them before they were free format, and uh, boy, that was there, there were times that that was that was a long process. I can only imagine, especially with the volume of ATCE being the the the, the event that gets the most abstracts uh, every year, um, and so in some respects, it's our most selective event. Um, it certainly, uh, I can only imagine the, the, the volume of abstracts that go through that. And your experience led you to teach our how to write a good abstract sec session that we hosted ATCE in recent years. What, what was your motivation for that session? You know, it's funny. I, I actually, I started that because someone, had, I, I was involved with the Dallas section uh, as well on the, on the board of the Dallas section for many years on the program chair and chairman and stuff like that. And one of the guys, Danny Bell, who served with me on that board, knew that I'd written a bunch of papers. And one day he, he, he was doing education chair. And he said, Terry, I'd like to get to promote more uh, paper writing 
in our section in our section here and would you be willing to put on a short how to write an abstract and how to write a paper class and so it literally started with a four-hour session uh, for the Dallas section and I really enjoyed that so much and I think what happened was somebody from staff SP staff saw me give that I did it a couple of years and then asked me if I'd be willing to do that at the uh, at the annual conference. And so, of course, I jumped at the opportunity because it it became something that I really enjoyed talking about. And I I think it's you know, I think it's good for people's careers. I think there's a lot of things that people don't a lot of misnomers and misconceptions about writing papers and abstracts that's out there that I think sometimes cause people not to want to write a paper. And I wanted to kind of help uh, promote that. and. So that we get a lot of, you know, the, the way we can high grade and make our programs as good as possible is to get as many abstracts in there that we can evaluate. So, um, you know, it was kind of a two edged deal, but mostly it's just because somebody asked and uh, it was something that kind of was passionate to me. That's isn't that the way so many things happen, right? Yeah. Um, so share with our listeners what makes a good paper proposal? Um, what information should they include? Well, maybe we, you know, I'd probably like to start with just what is an abstract? I mean, so what is, you know, we, we sometimes call it call for papers. And the irony is we aren't calling for papers. We're actually calling for abstracts or pro proposals. And so the, the question probably is, well, what is that abstract for? So keep this in mind. I think it, it's, it's basically your way to communicate to the reviewer why they should choose your paper or your abstract. I mean, it's a sales pitch, and it's it's your it's all about telling them what what uh, what's going to be in the paper and why they should accept it. It's it's actually a portion of your abstract. When you actually write the paper, you'll write a more full length abstract. And by the way, that abstract is meant to hook readers who are searching the database, and they read your abstract and say, "Okay, I want to take a look at this paper." So, but as far as this proposal goes, it's it's your it's your sales pitch. So. You know, you need to be clear. You need to be concise. You don't have to use all the words that you're allotted. Um, you know, a catchy title, things like that, are I think are important. Um, you know, think about what's important of the day. The, I'm, and I, it's about the only time I'll typically recommend buzzwords. But you know, if if your paper has something to do with applications in unconventional reservoirs, then you should probably put that in your title, or at least in the in the abstract somewhere. Um, if it's if it's for an area or a field, the Bakken or uh, you know what have you, then you should put that in there. Um, you know, I like to think of it as, you know, if you were looking at a title uh, and maybe the abstract, what is it that would catch your eye and that would make you want to read it uh, and download it or attend it or whatever? So, you know, I think whatever you need to include in that abstract or that proposal that will help sell your paper or, or excuse me sell the proposal to the reviewer is what you you might want to put in there um, i'll give you a little secret i don't know whether this helps or hurts but i typically tell in my classes or on this i if you read out my abstracts every one of my abstracts will have two statements in it somewhere somewhere it will say this paper is going to blah, blah, blah. This paper will, this paper, whatever. I mean, as funny as that sounds, a lot of times I read an abstract or a proposal and I'm like, what are they going to be talking about in this paper? Because we tend to get into introductions and all this other stuff instead of just saying, hey, this paper is going to do this. So if it's somewhere in there can say that, at least as a reviewer, it, it kind of focuses me on that. And then the other thing I'll typically say is, um, you know, this paper would be useful too, or this paper will benefit 
who. And that way it kind of, and usually I put that at the end and that kind of helps uh, that reviewer know, okay, so this is who this is our target audience is for and things like that. So I don't know, those are, those are just some of the pointers I have that I usually tell the people. Um, but uh, you know, the, the key is to be clear and concise and just try to sell it um, as, as well as you can on paper. Great. I think that's great advice. You mentioned um, catchy title. I know I've seen some in the past where uh, people have tried to be so clever that the title doesn't convey what the paper is actually about. And later when you see that on the program, if, assuming it was chosen, um, someone who's just scanning down the program and is really only seeing the titles and the authors might not know that, that what that paper is about. And so they might not choose to attend it. So is there a balance between, you know, being clever or catchy and still communicating what what the thing is about clearly well yeah okay so first of all the one thing i would be really careful of is don't be so general um you know a field study that optimizes production in an unconventional reservoir i mean those are just a bunch of buzzwords that don't really mean a lot of things to you so you know put the name of the play if it's a case history, say that it's a case history, you know, things like that. But yeah, I, I, I always, what I always tell people is this, if you, and I've, I have seen some really catchy, cool titles. I think it's, you have to be really careful uh, if there's a fine line there, um, but, uh, but it's certainly doable. Um, just make sure that it, you do, you know, if you're catchy or clever, maybe is the right word, then make sure that it still conveys what's in that paper um, because otherwise you're right uh, a person may look at it and think okay i'm just going to go on to the next thing um, but you know i think there is a time and a place for kind of some clever things and, and if you have the ability to be clever with your title i think it's a good thing um, because then it, it again it's going to catch the eye of the reviewer as well i think um Asking some colleagues to read it and comment on it, give you some feedback after you've written it is probably a good way to make sure that you are communicating what the paper is about. Now, not your co-authors, of course, because they already know what the paper's about, but some people who haven't been involved in the process who might be able to give you some feedback on, on whether or not um, you've correctly communicated what you're, at, what you're planning to talk about. Yeah, I, you know, I talked to, I, 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 as usually as a part of my class, I talk about writing the paper and making the presentation. And one of the things I stress over and over again is to have others read your abstract, have others view your presentation, have others, uh, you know, all those things, because you, what happens is you get so, I find that after I've read and written over and over and over again on the same paper, that you just start to get immune to it and you you kind of know what you're trying to say, but you kind of forget the fact that you're just not saying it very well anymore. So yeah, I think it's it's really critical to do that. And, and as a matter of fact, I will usually wait until I get it in a pretty final form to take it to some pretty key people, people that maybe don't even have a lot of background in the, in the uh, subject matter and let them read it then. Uh, in other words, if, if you let them read it three or four times, they're going to become just like you again. They're going to know what it is about again. So I I usually do some final, uh, have some people read it on a final basis to make sure, you know, it's conveying what, what you want them to convey. And, uh, you know, and obviously make sure it's people who will be candid with you. You don't want people who are just going to agree uh, because they're afraid to tell you what they think. So I think it's Absolutely. important. 
Absolutely. Um, what else should potential authors consider as they're trying to get the, the, you know, the process going? Well, okay, that's that's another good question. So if there's there's probably two or three things that I would say you need to think about. First of all, deadlines. Okay, for the most part, there aren't extensions. There's almost never an extension on an abstract. Um, you know, but there's not typically extensions. So you know, look online. They will tell you in the call for papers. You know what the deadlines are going to be. So make sure you can hit those deadlines. Um, make sure you'll have all your data together by that time. Maybe make sure you'll have all your testing done if you're doing testing or what have you. So, so make sure you're going to be able to meet the deadlines. Second thing you need to do is, is make sure you understand your company's approval process. Some companies require the abstract to be approved. Some people just, some just require the paper, but at least make sure you think you understand the approval process and the timing to do that because some companies take longer than others. And you know you might just make sure that they're going to approve it. Um, you know there are some things that you know your company probably wouldn't approve, or maybe you don't know that, but you might want to ask. And then the other thing is start consider your co-authors and their deadlines. So my company is doesn't have a lot of strict guidelines on deadlines. In fact, I help approve a lot of the papers, but um, but some of my co-authors I know take a month, and so you have to account for their them in the deadlines as well. And then uh, I, let me just also say this, if if you're a service company and you are, look, by and large, what, if you're a service company and you're writing a paper, you, you are probably talking about a product or a service or something that you at your service company did with an operator, probably. Um, and one of the things that we are looking very critically for in our reviewing is the low level of commerciality. If we think there's going to be any hint of commerciality in your paper, you will be low rated and may not make the cut. So what I, the reason I bring that up is because if you're a service company, which is what I am, I work for a service company, I try to work really hard to find co-authors from the operator who are willing to put their name on the paper because if I'm a reviewer and I see that there's an operator on there as well, it makes me feel a little bit better about it being a non-commercial paper. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get a paper in without an operator as a co-author. It's not at all what that means. It just means it, you're going to have to work pretty hard to make sure it doesn't look, it isn't a commercial piece of uh, uh, work. but. That's one thing to think about with your co-authors. You know, we don't look at it and say, oh, wow, they got 10 co-authors. More co-authors you have, the better chance. No, there's none of that stuff. Um, it has no bearing on it whatsoever. But, you know, who the co-authors work for and stuff like that, I think that's important uh, as, as a way to look at that. And one other thing I, meant, I forgot to mention on the approvals, also make sure that you're going to be able to travel. Now, obviously, right now we don't know, and I'm sure everybody's up in the air, and so it's hard to say, but let's just set COVID-19 aside and all the issues going on with that. Under normal circumstances, you should probably make sure that you believe you're going to be able to travel to the conference, because if you don't, if no one presents your paper, whether it's you or your co-author or a colleague, unfortunately, the paper gets pulled. So, and won't go into one Petro. So just make sure you somebody ought to be able to be presented. That's an excellent point. I know a lot of people really um, want not only to travel to an ATCE or something like that to uh, to have that experience, 
but also um, that holy grail of having your paper in one Petro is important. Um, but there is the the policy we've instituted that if your paper isn't isn't presented, we pull it from the from the proceedings and it and it is no longer in one Petro. So authors definitely need to be aware of that. Just getting your abstract through is not a guarantee of getting a paper into one Petro. I think that's uh, important for people to understand. Much of the work of the Society of Petroleum Engineers is accomplished by members. Become a volunteer and use your knowledge and experience to influence SPE programs and activities. As a volunteer, you can enhance your leadership skills while meeting and working with other SPE members from across the globe. There are many opportunities to get involved, regardless of your experience, location, or experience level. To learn more about the League of Volunteers, visit spe.org volunteer. So you gave us a little bit of, of hint, but um, obviously a program committee can sometimes only accept one in 10 or fewer of the proposals that are submitted. So how do they select which papers will make the best program? Well, so look, we, we try really hard to make this a subjective process or, or yeah, you know, we don't want to, we, we're trying to get out, get away from or be very objective, I guess. We're trying to get away from uh, favorites and all that stuff. So some of the things we do, first of all, is we we ask reviewers if you know if you're a colleague or if you're on the paper and stuff to kind of recuse yourself. But the way the process works is most program committees or subcommittees are made up of I'd say 10 to 15 uh, individuals that serve three-year terms. Um, that we try to put these program committees together to have a, a mix of operators and service companies, but you know, still have the subject matter expertise. Um, and the, they, all of the, there's a deadline, of course, for the proposal. Everybody then is asked to write the proposals from one to six. Uh, and I think you can use half, so 1.5, 2.5, so on. And, you know, if all goes as planned, everybody reviews and rates every paper. We then take the average, uh, the program chair takes the average of the, of the uh, ratings of each one of the papers, and then we rank them from top to bottom. And by and large, we know that, uh, okay, we get say completions at the ATCE is gonna have six sessions, five papers per session, so we have 30 papers. We're gonna also include two to three alternates, so that's, you know, whatever that ends up being another nine or yes, 12 more. So we know that we're going to be able to put 45 or 50 papers into the program between actual presentations and alternates. And then we go ahead and we go down and we make the cutoff at, you know, the top 50 or whatever it is. Now, you know, as we then put them together, we will try to look at, you know, papers that were maybe just below um, or maybe just maybe in line because honestly, it's it's not at all uncommon for you know the cutoff to be 4.71, and there was a paper at 4.72 and a papers at 4.7, and so it literally comes down to that sometimes. So we try our heart best to if there's something that looks like it maybe just didn't quite make it, we might put it in and, and add another alternate or whatever. But but by and large, it's just really it's just how well those papers are rated. And, you know, hopefully everybody, the way we work it is, you know, hopefully everybody kind of does their rating in the same system. So, you know, some people maybe is more critical, some are not, but as long as they do them all the same way, uh, then it all averages out. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how it works. Um, unfortunately, as you said, 
some of the really high high uh, volume flagship uh, uh, programs like ATCE, HFTC, OTC, you know, AirTech. Some of these, you know, the the uh, acceptance is going to in the going to typically be in the teens, um, and so that means you know you have a one or two out of ten chance of being accepted. So it's pretty stiff competition. And I guess what I want to I want to make sure everybody understands is if if you don't get accepted, don't be discouraged. It may just I mean, it it, the, it was it's typically stiff competition there. But what I would do if I'm not accepted is I would then take that and I would try to go to a regional conference or something that usually has a little bit less pressure on it. I, but I would also get that abstract reviewed by somebody. I'd make sure someone else looks at it and says, you know, find it, make sure there wasn't some fatal flaw in there. But uh, don't be discouraged if you're not accepted to one of these big conferences because it's they're they are hard to get in. They're very exclusive, uh, some of them. Um, well, right now we have a, a number of open calls for papers for events coming up in uh, later this year and early into next year. So there's lots of opportunities for for people to write write papers right now. Um, any other recommendations for or advice for people who might be considering writing their very first SPE paper? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you two pieces. So, so first of all, when you write that proposal, you need to treat that proposal like your resume or your CV. You know, you, when you turn in a resume or a CV to a company for a job, you nobody is typically going to call you up and say, could you explain what you mean by this on your resume? They're either going to get it or not, and they're either going to call you back or they're not. And that's the same thing that happens with an abstract or a proposal. Nobody on the conference committee or program committee is going to call you up and ask you for clarification. They're either going to understand or not. So be really clear and be really concise and, and make sure you are answering the questions. But the other thing is, you know, it's funny. I talk to more people, a lot of people come to my presentation, especially younger uh, you know, first timers uh, for papers, and they they just say, you know, I'd like to write. I really would like to write a paper, but I just don't have anything to write about. And I I would contend that with very few exceptions, I think everybody's got a paper in them. Um, you know, you you're, you have your day to day job, and you're doing things, you're solving problems, you know, you're you're overcoming challenges or whatever. And and think about it when you go to a conference. That's exactly what you like to hear, don't you? I mean, you like to go and you like to hear about how someone else had their problem and solved their problem, you know, the steps they took and whatever. I mean, that's what we call case histories. And if I think everybody's got those. And so I would I would really encourage you to think about that and and see if you can't find something um, that you might be able to write about. First timer, I would recommend probably go into a regional conference. I, I think it's less pressure there, less pressure to get the paper in, but also, you know, you won't have a room full of 400 people. You might have a room full of 50 people, and maybe that'll be a little less intimidating the first time as well. So I think those would be my two pieces of advice. I think that's great. Um, I should have thought if I had a piece of advice to offer as well, because uh, having, having done this myself, um, although I, I admit my first paper was also at a regional conference, so I think that does make a difference um, and give you a little more comfort um, in terms of trying to make that first presentation uh, where it's natural to, oh, oh my gosh, I'm looking at all these faces and they're expecting me to say something important and I'm just talking about what I did in my work and, and I'm hoping they'll find it interesting. Right. Um, 
So any last tips for authors that we that we ought to share uh, before I have something else I was going to ask you about while I got you? I mean, you know, once you do start writing the paper, by the way, proof, proof, proof. Make sure you have people who look that over and proofread it for you um, and and your presentation. I just want to throw out one thing when you're practicing your presentation. Practicing your presentation is not sitting in front of your computer screen, advancing slides, and in your mind thinking about what you're going to say. Practicing your presentation is standing up and presenting it on a screen, or maybe it's at your computer, but you're standing there and you are literally timing yourself and you are saying the words as if you're presenting the paper. And even better, if you could do it in front of an audience, you know, maybe colleagues or whatever, but but that's practice. And if you want to become smooth at practice, at presenting that's the way you have to practice so anyway that's, that's great a advice soapbox of mine. no absolutely great advice um i i read uh, something recently that talked about um uh, you can't practice too much for uh for a presentation the the um the more you practice the better you are at it and and it really is important to take that time to make sure that you're you're not going to be stumbling over your words as I've been, um, and uh, be fluent in those kind of uh, kind of situations, especially if you get a little stage fright in front of people. Having practiced, you'll be more comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. I think one final thing I would add from the SPE perspective is to make sure everybody knows SPE does do a plagiarism check on all papers as they come through. And if we discover there is a high degree of plagiarism in your paper, um, even self-plagiarism, um, it will flag and uh, we will be having a conversation about it. So that's a reminder for everyone as well. And Glenda, can I add something there? I, Absolutely. I mean, I would say the far majority of the plagiarisms that we see are self-plagiarism. I mean, and, and so you're not doing that on purpose, but you know, you're writing a paper that you, maybe it's a subsequent to another paper or it's related to another paper you wrote and whatever, and you just, you know, you write the same thing you wrote before because you look at it and whatever. That's our biggest problem is people who self-plagiarize. So, you know, just make sure you you cite your own work when when that when that happens. Yeah, that self-plagiarism is usually a fairly easy fix. Right. Um, but it's it's, yeah, it's the other part that's not. <laughs> right. Well, Terry, I appreciate you taking the time, and I think you've given our potential paper authors some great advice about how they can write their first or second or third paper. Well, I hope so. I have enjoyed it. Um, I always enjoy talking about this topic. It's kind of something that's near and dear to me. I enjoy doing it. And um, and so, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully a couple people or more will decide to, to try their hand at it. Are you considering becoming an SPE member? When you join SPE, you join a society of dedicated professionals just like you, working to address the technical challenges of the global oil and gas industry. SPE membership gives you the opportunity to make local and global connections and build a network of influential technical leaders from every discipline. Learn more at spe.org slash join.